heaven, we thank you that you are majestic, that you are awesome, that you are mighty. Lord, in your power, in your grace, in your mercy, you can use even a dull tool on your workbench, a simple instrument to work. And so I pray this morning that that would be exactly what you do. That in spite of a foolish and frail and inept speaker, that you would speak to us. That you would teach us from your word. That, Father, you would move me out of your way. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the reading, the preaching, the proclamation of your holy word, you would comfort us and challenge us, convict us and encourage us. Lord, if there's anyone here who has never put their faith and their trust in you and you alone for salvation, would you move upon their heart this morning? We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This morning, we are returning to our sermon series as we walk through the book of James. We are in James chapter 2. We'll be beginning in verse 14 this morning, and I will read verses 14 through 26. Just a brief reminder of where we have been in the letter of James to the Christians, the Christians of the early church, the first generation of Christians after Christ has ascended into heaven. We have a greeting where James himself acknowledges that Jesus is Lord, the same brother who probably used to pick on Jesus when they were young, acknowledges Jesus is the Messiah. He talks about the testing of our faith, about joy in trials, about wisdom from God regarding those trials. He talks about the place of the rich and the poor before God and how we are all of equal standing. He talks about the reward for all of those, rich or poor, who endure to the end. He talks about the process of temptation. The Lord is not involved in tempting us. We tempt ourselves more often than not. He talks about hearing and doing the Word, not hearing the Word and letting it fall and nothing coming of it, but hearing the Word and taking action. He talks about true religion, being taken care of widows and orphans. Talks about the sin of partiality, about having favoritism. Talks about judgment and the measure that we used being measured against us. Talks about how when mercy triumphs over judgment, mercy will always triumph over judgment. And so that brings us to a new topic, a new point of discussion that James begins to bridge in chapter 2, verse 14. If you have found your way to the book of James in the New Testament... I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word. As we look together now in James chapter 2, I'll be reading verses 14 through 26. When I have completed the reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond by saying thanks be to God. Let's look together now. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, 
is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in that same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come to a passage this morning that is often very well trodden. It is a passage that is preached on often. It is studied often, but so is the whole book of James in its entirety. This morning, you come upon a passage that we might think is in direct opposition to how the gospel is presented elsewhere in Scripture. And I want us to resist the temptation to think that Scripture is at odds with itself. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul will write that by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not a matter of works, so that no man may boast. This is a gift from God, so that no one can boast and say, I am saved because I work so hard. There is a nuance at play here that oftentimes we confuse in our minds, and even more often we confuse in our lives. And so when we look at James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, he is bluntly and very obviously telling us that faith without works is dead. That is not in opposition to what Paul is going to say, that it is not a result of works. And I know that that may seem like we're splitting hairs, but that is an extremely important difference. Salvation, even from what Paul says, is not a result of work that you have done. The work that we do is a result of the salvation that has taken place in our hearts. And oftentimes we think that because we live in the South and because we attend a church every so often, that our works actually account for the faith that we proclaim. But what I would submit to us this morning is that oftentimes we fool ourselves. Oftentimes I fool myself. The work of being a pastor is not what grants me salvation. The work of being a preacher in a pulpit does not in and of itself save anyone. You can have somebody who is a false teacher. You can have somebody who knows the gospel in their mind well. But between Sunday and Saturday, their life reflects nothing of the gospel. 
When you have a preacher who stands in a pulpit and declares, thus saith the Lord, proclaims the gospel, but their life the rest of the week, the rest of the time outside of the pulpit does not match to the gospel that they proclaim, it is the same as what we see in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? If somebody shows up at church to preach a good word, but nothing that they do in their life matches up to that word, what good is that? If somebody shows up and sits in a pew faithfully every Sunday for decades on end, but nothing in their life reflects the words that have fallen upon their ears as they sat in those pews. What good is that? Believing in Jesus, the same kind of belief that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 10, talking about calling on the name of the Lord. If you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross, if you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But see, that's the same use of believe when it talks about Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. There's things that we believe that really we just think. Belief means it changes something. Did I do that? Is that me? The thunder rumbling? Lord, I'm sorry. Are you mad at me? That's from your word. I, 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 just, I just read it. Belief indicates... That something in your heart, something in your life is now different. For example, how many people in here believe George Washington was the first president of the United States of America? This is one of those times where you are free to participate by raising your hand. I promise you won't be counted as Pentecostal unless you raise both of them. And in which case, you're still our brother or our sister, and that's totally fine. So, we all agree, George Washington, we believe, is our first president in the United States of America, right? Right. How does that affect your life day to day? What, what, is, what does that do for how you live, how you treat others, where you work, how you lead your family, how you participate in your family, what you do with your time, what you do throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, years and seasons on end? How does believing George Washington was our first president change your life in any way whatsoever today, modern day? That belief doesn't. But I think what is rampant in the church, and especially in the South, whether people are in the church or not, is this mental assent to believe that Jesus was and is a real person. That believe that Jesus really did live, he really was perfect, he really died on a cross, and he really was raised from the dead. But they believe that the same way that they believe that George Washington was our first president. Do you know that there are people who believe that the Harry Potter series is real more than some people believe that Jesus is real? You know how I know? Because there's knuckleheads walking around with wands from Harry Potter casting spells on people, believing with all their heart that if they just say, Leviosa, then, you know, it's going to float up in the air and they got magic powers. You know how I know? They buy wands. There are people in our church who lovingly have bought wands and keep them as their own personal mementos, if you will, to the movies and the books. There's people in this church who won't be named, definitely not your preacher, who enjoys the Lord of the Rings. And so 
They have trinkets from the Lord of the Rings movies and books. Maybe a sword that hangs in a remote part of their garage that they're embarrassed of and they don't try to show many people, even though they're telling everybody in the church about it right now, okay? There are people who believe these made-up, fanciful stories more than we believe the gospel. They have conventions. You think, well, I go to church. Oh, you may go to church, but have you ever been to Comic-Con? All right? That is church in and of itself for all the people that go. There are people who spend thousands of dollars on elaborate costumes to make themselves look like their favorite character so that they can show up at Comic-Con and everybody will respect the work that they put in. And they will really think, there goes an elf. I see them right now. Oh, look, it's a, it's a real mining dwarf with an axe. That's, I, oh, that's amazing. All of these characters, people reshape their life because maybe they believe that the characters are real. Maybe they believe in what the characters make them feel. But it makes an impact on their life. And what we're doing so often in church is we're saying we believe the gospel, but it does nothing in our hearts. It does nothing in our lives. And we see people who are more committed to the Lord of the Rings. We see people who are more committed to Star Wars. We see people who are more committed to their favorite team. How many folks do you know personally? And maybe this is you, but I've already aired my dirty laundry. So if this is you, I'm not singling you out without putting myself up there too. And maybe you paint your body and put a specific letter on your body, and you stand in the stands hoping the camera will catch you so that you can be a part of your team's name being spelled out while you're going, Woo! Woo! Go, Bama! Roll There are people who believe in Nick Saban way more than we believe in the gospel. I would say the same about Auburn's coach, but I just don't know that that's true right now. I'm so sorry. I'm, there was a time I could have used that same analogy for both teams. It's just not today, okay? But, but there will be a day. The day is coming. War Eagle to all you Auburn fans. Love you guys, okay? There are people who will leave on Wednesday, right? They will repurpose thousands of dollars. They will put themselves in inescapable debt to get a camper, to take off and go down to Auburn or go to Tuscaloosa or go to wherever their team is and camp Thursday through Sunday, and then go to work on Monday, potentially still hung over from the weekend of the game. Because they're worshiping, and they believe in their team. Your actions show your belief. If you think your house is on fire, you leave your house. If you believe your house is on fire, you'll leave your house. If you tell me you believe your house is on fire on the phone while you're sitting in your living room like, man, I'm telling you, I'm thinking it smells like smoke in here. I probably should get out, you know. Get out. Nah, it's probably okay. Then you don't really believe your house is on fire. It's just that simple. But for some reason, when it comes to faith, we like to think if we just think it, if we just believe it, if we just know it, then we must be Christians. Or at the very least, if we think it, and then we show up at church every so often. Well, then that's, that's, that's a show when I got faith. I mean, like, why would I go to church otherwise? Oh, let me tell you, there's plenty of reasons to come to church aside from faith, okay? There's people that are on the hunt, on the prowl at church for their mate. There's people at church because mama and daddy won't let them be anywhere else. There's people at church because mama and daddy made them go to church every Sunday, and now they don't know what to do other than to go to church on Sunday. And even though mama and daddy have been dead long since, they wake up every Sunday morning and they go, I probably got to go to church. I don't know. I, 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 mama's going to show up and, and haunt me or something. I don't know. I better go to church. 
People are in church for all kinds of reasons other than the fact that they believe and they want to hear the gospel and they want to be reminded of the goodness of God and they want to be encouraged to live for Jesus the rest of the week. There's plenty of reasons. Just because we show up every so often does not exhibit faith. It's the same as looking at somebody and being like, oh my goodness, you look like you're starved. You haven't had anything to eat in months. That's terrible. I'm going to pray with you right now. Lord Jesus, I hope and pray that you will give this person something to eat. Man, that is, mm, God bless you. Be well. By the way, it's starting to get a little bit cold out there. I hope you find a jacket too. I'm not talking about being weary of somebody who might be trying to scam you. I'm not talking about giving cash to somebody that you are just convinced that's going to turn around and use it to buy alcohol or something else that they don't need to put in their body. I'm talking about somebody who is desperately in need of hunger, and our response is, hmm, hate that for you. I'll be saying a prayer. I mean, it's almost a knee-jerk reaction for us. I I find myself often having to remind people, if I tell you that I'm going to pray for you, most of the time, I probably stopped right there to pray for you because I want to make sure I don't forget to pray for you. But it's just part of our lingo. Hurricane Ian comes through Florida. Oh, our thoughts and prayers are with them. But if we really believed our thoughts and prayers did anything, we would stop and pray, right? But it's just, that's what we say, that's what we do. It's just a knee-jerk response. I'll pray for you. You seem to be in need. I will pray that God will do something for you. If we believe the gospel, here's what happens. Our lives begin to change. And it's not perfect, and it's messy. But slowly and steadily, when things don't go your way, you still have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When your boss overlooks you for that promotion, you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you get put in the hospital and they diagnose you with cancer and it seems hopeless and everybody else who doesn't believe in the gospel is hysterical, somehow or another you still have Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When the nurses are driving you nuts and you think they are the most incompetent people on the face of the planet, and if they stab your arm and don't hit the vein one more time, you're going to take that needle and start stabbing them in the neck. Instead of acting like everybody else that does that, you exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you're sitting in that class and that student has gotten on your very last nerve and every other teacher would have been done with that student and said they will never come back into my classroom you show them love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control when that co-worker is the most annoying person in the workplace and everyone else casts them aside you still show them love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control when your parents are difficult to deal with When somebody you love dies, when you bring in as much money as you can, but it still doesn't meet the demands of the bills that are owed. When life's pressures have pressed you down, you're pressed, but you're not crushed. You're persecuted, but you're not abandoned. And you're still filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because you know in your heart it's a part of who you are that the gospel is true. That even if that person is taking advantage of you, you've done everything you can to help them because of the help that you and I have received from Jesus. We don't just say be warm and filled and go. It's not enough. It's not enough to just think that you know the gospel. 
It's not enough to just think you know Jesus. It's not enough to just say, well, I go to, I go to church sometimes. Your life, my life, has to reflect it. Otherwise, we're on par with the demons. That's not me. That's James. Pretty much anyone who believes the gospel, head knowledge, without action that follows it up, on par with demons. Just look with me. He continues and he says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe that though. And at least they shudder. At least they understand who God is and they shudder at the thought of knowing who God is. You and I, sometimes we think, oh yeah, I know, yeah, oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, mm-hmm. I, got, I got church. Hey, how you doing? Do you, do you walk with the Lord? Oh yeah, I've been going down there to Bethany, you, you know, I, I, go, I, I go down there. You know what? I've been a member at Bethany for 10 years. That's amazing. What, what part of the sanctuary you sit on? You're just opposite side of you. That's, that's, you know, you're probably on that side. I'm probably on the other side. You, you know, that's crazy. I change where I sit every single week and, and I, I make sure that I sit everywhere. Where specifically do you sit? Well, you, you know, I, I sit, I sit back there, um, you know, by that guy. Uh, he always does that stuff and, and he's, he's kind of, you know, out there. You, you know, you know that guy? No, I, I really don't. Just give me a name. Give me any name. But you, you know, the, the Bethany, that's, that's where I go. How many of us don't even have that conversation? How many of us are those people saying that we go to church? We don't really know how often we go to church. Anything and everything takes priority over church in our lives. Anytime we can skirt the issue, we don't really, we don't really want to miss church, but we just do. A lot. A whole lot. And we're sure not going to get involved. We're definitely not going to join We'll just, we'll just be there every so often. That's not the kind of life-changing faith that James is talking about. That's the kind of faith that demons have. They know that God is there. They shudder. But that's all they do. Folks, the life-changing faith that gives us the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the self-control, that's the kind of faith that says... I'm going to be a part of this group of believers and I'm going to work it out with them. You're going to know that I have faith because I'm plugged into this body of believers and they can testify because when they see me out and about at my job, I work with a handful of church members. I go to church with some people that I work with and they see how I react all week at work and they would still tell you that I follow Jesus. That's what being a church family is about. That's that kind of faith. I know that so-and-so is a church member. I know that so-and-so believes, not just in their head, but in their heart, because I've seen how they respond. That's the whole point of the passage. That's all there is to it. He gives some Old Testament examples. Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. You know why we know Abraham believed God? Because God called Abraham and said some of the craziest stuff we've ever heard in all of Scripture. I want you to go sacrifice your one and only son. Huh, it's almost like it's a picture of the gospel or something. <laughs> I don't know, how crazy, right? And you know what Abraham does? He does it. You know why God commends Abraham for his incredible faith? Because God said, go kill your son for me. And Abraham said, which way you want me to go? Not a bit of reply. He told the servants, we're going to go over there and worship. We're going to come back. 
And he said, even if I do have to sacrifice my son, God made a promise to me, he'll bring my son back to life if he's got to. That's the kind of faith that James is talking about. Rahab lived her whole life as a prostitute. Whole life as a prostitute. And you'd think if anybody was undeserving of the gospel, that'd be the lady that'd be undeserving of the gospel, right? But that's the lady who recognizes, because in Deuteronomy it says how you are to lay siege upon a city. So Jerusalem is, Jericho is there, excuse me, Jericho is there, and all the Israelites are encamped outside of Jericho, and she knows that they are there. She knows of their God. They've been there for some time, and they send spies in to see what the city's like. And when they get there, she receives them, she hides them, sends them out a secret way. There's no better way to say, I really believe that your God is the one true living God. Even though I've messed up everything else in my life, I understand that the one true living God is the God you serve than to hide the spies who represent the people of the one true living God and to protect them at risk of your own life. Your life is forfeit if they are found at any point in the process. So how do we know Rahab believed? Was she just faking it? She went to quite an extreme to fake it, right? No. Because actions speak louder than words. Whether you've been to church or not, whether you've read the Bible or not, you've probably heard that one before. Actions speak louder than words. Rahab's actions spoke louder than her words. Abraham's actions spoke louder than his words. And isn't it amazing that the analogy James uses is just speaking some words. Be warmed and filled on your way. There's no actions that follow the words. Church, I I just want to tell you this morning, if at some point in your life you prayed a little prayer and you got dunked up there in that tank or wherever you might have been, in a river, in a baptistry, some other church, but nothing changed in your life, There was no action that changed about you. Then that's head. That's not heart. If we really believe, it changes who we are. It's it's not always instantaneous, but it is always gradual and growing, and we become more like Jesus and less like who we were. That's how the Scripture lays it out. If you went through some motions because you thought that's what you were supposed to do, but there's never been real faith in your heart that changed the way you acted, then I I think you ought to have a real serious talk with the Lord God in heaven about whether or not you really believe that He's there. And can I also say, if you did that and, and you know you meant it, and you know you believe, And there have been things that have changed in your life. I just wonder, even in South Alabama, do people pick you out as a person of faith? I'm not even going to use the word Christian. A person of faith. Do people who have no idea who God is, don't believe in Him, would they pick you out as somebody who has faith? Because they see the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness self-control. Do they recognize that in you? Have you been walking with the Lord in such a way as your faith has kind of become inactive? You still say you believe. It's not that you're not saved. It's not that it wasn't real. It's that 
now it just has become the words that you say, the routine that you're in. And I wonder, how is your faith affecting your day-to-day life? What about your faith changes your actions, your works? If it's not changing anything, I think you need to do something different. And I think it needs to start today. If my faith isn't changing things in my life, I need to do something different. And I need to start today. So, that's our challenge this morning. It's a well-known passage, but maybe you needed a reminder of how active our faith is supposed to be. And maybe just through life beating you down, your faith hasn't been very active lately. There's no works to go along with what we say we believe. Today is the day you can recommit to the Lord. There in the pew, in just a minute, when when we have a time of invitation, Jason's going to sing some song for us. He's going to ask us, we're going to stand, we're going to sing with him. You can bow right there and make, make your pew your altar. You can bow your head while we sing. You can come down here, and in a way to signify how serious you are to the Lord, you can kneel at these steps, use them as an altar, and say, God, my faith has become inactive, but I believe. And pray like the man in Mark chapter 9. I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. Make my faith active again. Or maybe this morning you realize you've never really placed faith in the Lord Jesus. Because there's never been a time when your faith moved you to action. If that's the case, I'd love to share the gospel with you. And in just a few minutes, you come down front say, Preacher, will you you pray with me? I need to know more about trusting in Jesus. Maybe you've been attending this church for a while, and some of the action to prove your faith is that the Lord's calling you to say, I want to join this church. I don't want to just sit on the sidelines anymore and be an attender. I want to be plugged in. I want to be a member here. I want to be held accountable by my brothers and sisters here at Bethany. I'm going to pray for us. After I pray, once I say amen, I encourage you to stand And respond as the Spirit leads. As I say amen, Jason will already be playing. There will already be a song going. We'll stand, we'll sing, we'll respond. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to have faith. Thank you that you sent your one and only Son to die on a cross, to die our death, to pay the penalty for our sin so that we might have a living and active faith in Him. Lord, thank You that, Holy Spirit, You come into our hearts. You change our actions. You make us live for You. You change the attitudes and thoughts of our heart. You fill us with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. You fill us with Your fruit, Lord. We bear the fruit of Your Spirit. Father, for some of us, we've, we've never borne that fruit. We've said we believe. Maybe we even prayed prayer. Maybe we even were baptized, but we never have had action to accompany our words. We said, be warm and filled. And that was all. Lord, I, I pray that if that's the story for anyone here or anyone listening online, that they, Father, would commit to you right now that they would 
trust in you and that you would place faith in their heart that changes who they are. Lord, for those of us who've just slipped away, the busyness of life, the events of everyday living have beaten us down and our faith has become inactive. Lord, I I pray that you would move in our hearts and call us to action once again. That we might have a living and active faith in your word, filled with works and deeds aimed at pleasing you, at living out what we say we believe. Lord, don't let us walk around here believing in Jesus the way we believe in George Washington. Father, we give this time of response to you. We ask that you would move among us. We ask all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing? Would you respond as a spirit?